0: Church podcast. New City is a church in Bath, Maine, that exists to make disciples, develop leaders, and plant churches this that week, multiply. This week, Pastor Joel Littlefield is preaching a message from Matthew chapter seven, verses seven through eleven, and the message is called "How Much More Will Your Father Give?" We hope you are blessed by the message today. Amen. All right, church, let's pray together before we study the Word together. Father in heaven, we pray that you would make plain and clear, Lord, what needs to be from this text today. I am so thankful for my salvation through Jesus Christ, by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. I thank you for that, for my brothers and sisters who are here, who find themselves this morning saved, not by their own works or good doing, but by the grace of Jesus alone. We pray also for those that are with us, that have not found today that they are in Christ, but they are in the world, they're in their sin. I pray that today, Lord Jesus, you would become clear to them, the gospel would be made clear and rich in the deepest treasure of their heart, Lord, that you would save souls, that you draw your church into your presence, and that by your word today, we would be strengthened and encouraged to persevere, to persist in prayer and all things that you give us to do, Lord. Uh, Bless this time as we hear your word, bless the preaching of it, may it be honored and revered, God, change our lives by your word, we pray in Jesus' name, amen, amen, all right. I want to tag on a couple of quick announcements, but also just requests for more prayer, um, just because I have this opportunity when everybody's nice and quiet and listening, um, There's a team that's flying to Nepal. Do you guys know about the Nepal missions trip? Raise your hand if you know about this. Okay, good. So you're all praying about it fervently. Thank you. It's good. We need you to because it's happening. And slowly but surely, things are coming into place and provision is coming. There's a few of us that are still waiting on passports because the government's, you know, really good at everything they do. And, uh, (laughs) but that needs to happen. So October 9th to the 21st, there's uh, five from New City. So Owen... John Wyman, myself, Nathaniel, and Aaliyah will be flying out of Boston and we'll be meeting another, and Jayla, Jayla, I'm so sorry, my daughter-in-law, Jayla. (laughs) That's fun to say, by the way. Um, We are all, so six, yeah, sorry. We're all flying out of Boston. We'll be meeting another group of churches in in Doha, Qatar, and uh, then with those churches all flying to Nepal together, and we'll be there till the 21st. And we need your prayers. Like you, I believe that when, when, when people go from a local church, that the rest of the church that isn't going should see themselves as sending. We're going because you guys are praying for us to go, and you're praying for this mission, and you're praying for the people that we're going to get to talk to and share the gospel with. It's also going to change our lives. Who's been on a short-term mission trip before? Raise your hand. Wow. So most of you don't know what it's like to leave the country, maybe, on a missions trip. Maybe you left the country on a vacation, but it's different when you go to serve Jesus somewhere. It'll change our lives, too. I've been on, on one, and it was life-impacting. But uh, So pray for us, please. We need your prayers. There's some final provision for some of, the, some of us that are going, some fundraising, so pray for that as well. And uh, just don't forget that. All right, church? We got you. You got our backs. Yeah, you sound like it. (laughs) Man, the plane's going to crash now. Gosh, you guys. (laughs) We're not superstitious. (laughs) No superstitions here, guys. All right, so pray for that. And also, I wanted to clarify, too, we have the Next Steps class for our new members. Uh, You notice from the announcements that we ask people to, to apply to the to membership now first as a first step instead of going right to the Next Steps class. So if, now that I've got your attention, if you're here, if you're newer, what's this process like? Do we have members here? We do have formal membership. I would encourage you to go back to the Connect Station today, find John and let him help you find that application. It's very simple. And, uh, and then as soon as we have three, four, five people in that application process, then we'll move forward and we'll schedule a class where we, have, where we have lunch together. You get to hear about the vision of the church, what we're doing. You meet some of the pastors, and then we move towards the process of membership. So if that's you, if you've been coming here and you want to become a member, which there is reason to become a member, because you're saying, hey, I'm covenanting with you to disciple the nations, to disciple each other, to grow in Jesus together. We're going to submit to God's word together. We're going to hold each other accountable to not sin, but to follow Jesus. That's what membership is for. And it's formalized in the sense that you are not responsible to obey leaders and elders from other churches. And I and the elders here are not responsible to teach and shepherd other church members, are we? But those that God has given us, and this is a family. So so if that's you, please consider doing that. Make that next step and do that today. Ready for the word? no more announcements. All right, let's do this. All right, so this text is another very familiar text. As we were in last week, we talked about this, uh, another very familiar uh, taken out of context phrase, which is judge not lest you be judged. And I believe we tackled that pretty thoroughly. And then we come into another section um, of a very well-known text within the church, and it has to do with prayer. And like most well-known texts of Scripture, there's always the, the potential for them to be pulled out of context, misunderstood, and misused. So I don't want us to forget how connected these short little sections in the Sermon on the Mount are, are really connected to each other. They're, they're so connected. Um, we are, we are, we're leaning, all of us, we're leaning together on the help of the surrounding texts in the scripture in order to understand what Jesus is saying. That's so important when you read the scriptures in general. We're going to look back a little bit into Matthew 6 to help us set up the context. If you remember, not too far back in Matthew 6, Jesus teaches us how to pray like him you remember that? In chapter 6, we see this very famous section. It's become what is coined as the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, see old King James, hallowed be thy name. <laughs> you guys know that version? Um, all right, I do hear snoring, and if I hear it again, I will call it out, uh, just so you know. I, it's not often that you hear snoring from the, from the pulpit, but I hear it, and, and, and you will be called out. And <laughs> I have no shame in that, all right? So somebody elbow that person, all right? So no more, all right. And then when you wake up, get some coffee, splash water in your face, and then come back and join us. It'll be awesome, all right? Uh, So Jesus teaches us to pray in that model. In this model, we learn how to pray for his will to be done. We're not learning how to pray for whatever we want and get whatever we want. We're learning how to pray for his will to be done. We heard things like, Your kingdom come. So we're praying for the kingdom of God to come into this world and into our lives so that our lives look more like what's happening in heaven every day, which is the perfect will of God. There's not a rebel in heaven. No angel in heaven is pushing against the will of God, but they worship him night and day, and they do his will. That's not like here. That's why we pray. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. We learned also that this prayer was corporate, it focuses on other people. It's humble. It's kingdom-centered. And so at the end of that prayer, we might think, well, what about our needs? Well, I've got needs. Do I have to always pray for other people and for the kingdom to come? What about my needs? And that's a natural question to be followed up. So we have needs, and Jesus teaches us further on. In Matthew six thirty three. we see these words. Just after he tells us not to be anxious about our needs, he says this, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So he doesn't just say, don't be anxious, but he actually tells us what to do. If we want to live lives that are full of God's peace, we want rest in our lives, then we put the kingdom of God absolutely first, no compromise, no excuses, We put God's kingdom first, and when it's hard to do it because we have a sinful flesh and there's other things, we work harder at doing that. We are a saved-by-grace people, but Paul said, I worked harder than any of them, and he was saved by grace. Christians should work hard at what Scripture is telling us to do, but we do it resting in the grace of God, resting in his grace and in his provision. So it's in the seeking of the kingdom of God and the righteousness of God first that we find the most peace and rest and can simply trust that he will provide for those needs that we know that we have. In verse 8 of chapter 6, glance back there real quick, you'll see it. It reminds us that God the Father knows what we need before we ask him. That's a key word, ask him. He knows what we need. He's already begun teaching us about prayer And this is a a very important principle. He knows what we need before we ask him, but the implication is we're still going to ask him. We're gonna ask him. This changes our perspective on prayer from something like wishful thinking, which is not what prayer is, to hopeful expectation from a good and wise father. Hopeful expectation from a God who is good and wise. How wise? He knows everything you need before you ask. There's nobody wiser than that, nobody with more knowledge. Yet he's good, and because he's a good father, he desires us to ask him, to come to him, to approach him. Those are good things. So in our text this morning, Jesus returns to the subject of prayer. And at first glance, it seems like it's out of context. Like, he, wait a minute, judge not, lest you be judged. And, and the dogs and the pigs and all these things. And then suddenly he's back to this idea Of prayer. And how do we know this is about prayer? Because he continues the theme that we saw early in in Matthew 6 of asking and seeking. This is not out of context when you really look at it. He's already told us to ask him, and he's told us what to seek, to seek his kingdom first. So when we come to not very far down in the text, this idea of asking, seeking, and he'll add a third, knocking, This is not a new concept. He's adding to what he's already taught us. And it's adding more layers to our understanding of prayer. He continues the theme of asking and seeking. He adds this third thing of knocking in Matthew 7, and we're going to get to that. But we can also see that it's a theme of prayer in verse 11. Look at verse 11 of Matthew 7 in our text today. We read this. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who what? Ask him. He's still talking about prayer. He's continuing what he's already begun teaching in Matthew 6. Asking God, seeking God. This is prayer, brothers and sisters. This is what we're talking about. He's teaching us more about prayer. Are you tired of hearing teachings from Jesus on prayer or do you think maybe we could learn a little bit more? Anybody in here need or desire or want to know more about prayer from the Lord Jesus? Amen? A couple nods. Good, I'm with you. I need it. I'm not tired of it. Don't get tired of it. Don't get tired of the teachings of Jesus. If he repeats things, if he comes back to a theme, if you're like, well, I've already learned that, Lord. Why are you telling me? No, Jesus is so good to teach us what we need to hear and he knows what we need before we even ask him. We can stand to hear more about prayer. Now, at first glance, like I said, it's a little peculiar that he comes back to it in the subject of of judging and discerning ourselves. But when we look at this all together as a package, as a context, the fact that we're called to lovingly discern the speck, remember the speck in the eye? We're called to lovingly discern the speck that is in our eye, and that by doing this, we can then be most helpful to our brothers and sisters who also have specks in their eyes. And we want to keep ourselves from not self examining and having that speck grow into a massive log that we become a judge of others without ever judging ourselves first. That's the warning. And so he's bringing it up in this context. We can be helpful to others. In this, it's, it's a great opportunity really to return to the subject of prayer, isn't it? When you're thinking about the body of Christ. Isn't that awesome? Jesus comes back to this now that we've begun thinking about how do we rightly discern ourselves and then also discern and judge others. Then he comes back to prayer. So when you look across this room, feel free to, if you want to, just kind of look around. Look around, so you can see this room. What do we see? I have a great vantage point. I can see all of you. I see family. I see family. That's what we're supposed to see. You now some of you might think, "Well, I have a I have a bad family. I don't want to see family when I look at church." Well, God can hey, God can take care of that. And we're going to learn a little bit about that too. Because God is righteous, God is good. He's not like families of this earth. He's not like fathers of this earth. He's far greater. But that's what we've been called to see. That's what we're told to see. We see family. Many of us in this room have been bought and forgiven because of the blood of Jesus. His precious blood washes over us and we are forgiven and we are free. Made one, all of us, each of us made one, one family through Jesus Christ. Even through all of our differences and how in our sinful nature we want to look at others and say, well, they're not like me. I don't want to be their friend. They don't, they don't think like me. I don't want to be that. Jesus's blood takes care of all of that. And it really should wash all of that away. So we don't, we don't look at anybody in the body of Christ and say, I don't want to be their friend. I don't want to be. Because think about Jesus as our friend and think about what we've done against him. Think how great the difference is between our holiness and his holiness. The chasm is wide. It's It's unfathomable. It is incredible, and then yet we find that Jesus is the friend of sinners. So we have this hope. We're healed. We've been filled with his love for one another. One of the things that we find happening often in the letters that Paul writes to the church is that we get to see his love for the church, a love that we should mimic, a love that we should follow. Paul has many prayers. You've noticed them as you begin the letters that he writes to the church. Doesn't he often begin with a prayer for them? So Paul knew something about prayer and what it meant. I just want to go through briefly a few of them. I'm just going to rattle them off. Feel free to write them down, but you're probably familiar with them. But most importantly, pay attention to what is being said. Romans 1, 8 to 10 says, in this section, he says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. Paul begins, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. 1 Corinthians 1, 4, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. Paul is so thankful for the people in those churches and he's praying for them. Ephesians 1.16 I do not cease to give thanks for you remembering you in my prayers. A ceaseless prayer that Paul has for brothers and sisters in the local churches. Philippians 1.3-4 I thank my God in all my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy. That's Paul's heart for the church for people like us and the heart that we're supposed to mimic its the heart of Christ. Paul mimicked his heart. We have an example in Paul. We exa- have an example in the words of Jesus and the words of Paul. For Colossians 1.3, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. My ancestors with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. So not just the church, but individuals, even Timothy. As he writes to him. And then finally, Philemon, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers. How do we know God, or excuse me, how do we know Paul cared for God's people? How do we know God gave Paul a heart of a shepherd, a heart of a, of a, a loving friend and faithful servant of Jesus? How do we know that? How do we know that the churches that he planted had his affection, had his heart? And for those Christians that were in those local churches, one way is by his fervent Prayer for them And that's something that Jesus is teaching us about in Matthew 7: Fervent, persistent, unceasing prayer. That's the topic at hand. Paul did it. He shows it. We see that as an example. So that's really what my challenge is for all of us today: fervent prayer. If there's one thing you're going to sort of note now, like what's today about? What's this teaching about? What am I supposed to? Fervent prayer? Ceaseless prayer, persistent prayer. However you want to say it, that's what this is about. Prayer that does not relent. Prayer that trusts in God the Father and knows his good heart for his children. That kind of prayer. So let's look at the text. Let's go to the text and see what it says. Matthew 7, beginning in verse 7, he says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. What's the text telling us? In this teaching from Jesus, we're seeing not three different kinds of prayer. We're seeing three levels of intensity in prayer. Not three different kinds of prayer. There's not the ask kind of prayer, the knock kind of prayer, and the seek kind of prayer. You could say, well, I I do it differently. That's fine. That's not what Jesus is saying based on the context. He's not giving us three different ways to pray. He's giving us three intensities of a person who prays. Beginning with asking, then seeking, and then knocking. And then with those, he gives us a promise. So the procession is this. Ask, seek, knock. Growing in fervency, growing in intensity as we pray. And then you'll notice that in the text, with every action is a promised promise. Result. Just look a little bit further down in the text. You'll notice that with every action is a promised result. Those who ask will receive. Those who seek will find. And the door will be opened to those who knock. Interesting how he affirms this twice. In verse 7, he says it to his disciples where we see the word you, you, you. Judge, excuse me, verse 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Then he reiterates it in verse 8. For everyone, everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. He says it again, but he expands it. He goes out from the disciples that he's speaking to And that he goes out to everyone, everyone who asks, seeks, and knocks in the manner in which Christ is teaching us to do it, will receive the blessing that Jesus is referring to. It's an amazing promise. So what does he mean by everyone? Well, it doesn't matter what church or what nationality that you belong to. It doesn't matter your background. That's a beautiful picture of the gospel that all who come to him, all who come to God through faith in Jesus Christ are received as his children. And all have those incredible blessings. All who come to Jesus in sincere faith, claiming no righteousness of their own, not coming to you to, to God with your accolades and your merits and your background, because none of that actually matters to his saving grace. He saves us by his grace. What we must do is come to him pleading Christ's blood as sufficient to save us. Christ's blood as sufficient to bring us to the Father, And when we do that through Jesus, we do get the Father. We go to the Father, we have him, and we come to be his adopted sons and daughters with all the privileges and rights of a natural born child. Who is the only begotten son of the Father? Jesus Christ. That means that when we become sons and daughters of God through faith in Jesus, we get the inheritance of Christ. Don't forget that. We get what is rightfully his. Why? Because we were adopted into the family. And we have the father of Jesus Christ is our father. This is confusing often to somebody who may have never been to church or is not familiar with Christianity. We're talking about a very complex teaching, the Trinity, the triune nature of God, Father, Son, and Spirit. So I just want you to know that none of us really understand it either. So if you're here and you're like, well, well, I don't get it. I thought there was only one God. That is true. There is one God manifest in three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it is absolutely essential to the Christian faith that we believe what the Bible teaches about the triune nature of God. It is the Father who sent the Son as a sacrificial offering for sins. The father lovingly looked at the world and gave his son as an offering, as a sacrifice to substitute himself in the place of sinners like you and me. So one thing you, really, all you need to know is this question, am I a a sinner? Am I a sinner? Have I broken God's law? Have I failed to keep perfect righteousness? Do I deserve heaven? And nobody does. Thankfully, the father sent his son And the Holy Spirit was sent by the Father and the Son. After the ascension of Jesus, Jesus promised, I will send you the Holy Spirit as a helper. That's how we walk through this life, equipped with power, with strength, to do what Jesus is telling us to do. I wanted to say that just in case you're here and you're thinking, I I don't know anything about this father-son thing, what's with that? It is a clear teaching of Scripture, and it's something that is a necessary thing to believe as a Christian. But it doesn't matter who you are, where you've come from. That's the point. Jesus says everyone who comes and asks, seeks, and knocks, according to the will of Christ, will receive, will find, and the door will be opened. This is why verse nine is even there. Look at verse nine. Which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him bread? serpent. So this is interesting. Jesus uses an earthly analogy to help us understand a heavenly principle, a Christian principle. He's helping us here. So this is not only about praying with fervency and with relentless trust. The text is helping us with the doubt that follows so many of us, even into this room. The deep doubts that follow us. Does God really love me? enough to even listen to me is he there what is his love like what kind of father is this God the father that Jesus is telling me about does God really care for me does God really want good things for me because if I look at my life and everything that has happened or if you do you might look and say well I'm not sure I'm convinced that God is such a good a good God. And so, this is why this text is here. He gives us a comparison to use. Which one of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? And if he asks for fish, will give him a serpent? So, the scenario is the human institution of parent and child, which some of us can understand firsthand. Well, most of us can understand firsthand, even being a child. And then, if you're a parent today, you can understand. And even those who don't have children or never have, you can understand a little bit about what this is saying. More specifically, he's talking about father and son. An earthly father and an earthly son. So picture this. Jesus looks out at the crowd and asks them to imagine a fairly common scene in every home. A child asking for food. Does this ever happen in your home? A child asking for food. How often does it happen in your home, parents? All All day. All day, every hour, maybe every minute. It happens Isn't this great of the Lord Jesus to give us a scenario that is so commonly understood? Think about a child who's asking for food, and we can immediately know that picture. Some of it's a good picture. Some of it's not, you know, but there's something endearing about it, something incredibly sweet about it in a good scenario, in a good light, right? Especially when the child gets the food that he asks for. Again, Jesus is using a principle to help us understand a truth, He's not saying that there aren't bad scenarios in the world where there's bad fathers and children who don't get fed. That's not what he's saying. The scripture is not unaware, Jesus is not unaware that we live in a fallen world where people get mistreated. What he is saying is that there there is a truth that we need to understand about God the Father so that we come to him as broken people and we understand something about him. He'll help us figure out all the brokenness in the world and he'll help you work through the heartache and the issues in your life and that you see around you. He'll help you with that. But you need to look and see who God the Father is first. The only way that this scenario falls apart is if the father in the picture is the absolute worst father in existence. It's the only way this scenario doesn't work. Jesus says, which one of you, when your son asks for food, would give him a stone? When he asks for bread, would give him a stone? And so the only way, again, like this would fall apart is if the father is the absolute worst. Because that's what it would take for someone to hand their child a stone when they ask for bread. Just picture what that might be like, Daddy. I'm hungry. Can I have some bread? What father? What father would hand their child a stone and say, "Here, see what you can do with that. See if you can digest that. See if you can even chew it. It just dead ends, doesn't it? What a horrible scenario." That's the picture. He is trying to, he's trying to help us understand something. We're going to get to that. But that's the scenario. It's, an, it's, it's unlike the analogy of the log in someone's eye in that this is not funny at all. Jesus just used kind of a funny scenario. Picture, picture somebody with a, a log coming out of their eye trying to get a speck out of somebody else. That's a little funny. This is not funny. And we, we know that. We can all relate to at least that. This is not funny for a child to go hungry because he asked his father and his father gave him a stone instead of bread. Jesus is telling us something about his father and our father. Church, pay attention to this. Listen to this. If you're outside of Christ, if you don't know the father in heaven because you don't know Jesus, you've not surrendered or given your life to him, you've not, given, you've not even given the thought to whether your sin offends him, But you can come into the presence of a father forgiven and free through the sacrifice of Jesus by trusting and believing in him. You can do that. You can have and you can join us in this daily pursuit of getting to know our father and him changing us. Amen, church? That's what we want. We want more people in the kingdom, more people part of that family. It It needs to happen. This is what we want and that's why we're here. But he's telling us something about his father and our father. What earthly dad would do this? Our hearts revolt at the thought of a scene of such hatred where something like that would happen. Even if you had a horrible father, and some of you did have bad fathers that did not care for you, and maybe that scenario is not too far from reality for you, you still understand innately that good fathers don't do that. It's something that is innate in us. It takes some rewiring and some relearning, but it is not something a good father does. So now we have in our minds what God is like. He's like a good father on this earth. So it's interesting because he paints a picture with this scenario. But look what he says next, which might shock some people. Verse 11, If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? You see what's happening here? Jesus isn't comparing the Father to the worst dads on earth. He's comparing the Father in heaven to the best dads on earth. He's already told us, which one of you would act this evil? Very few. So even the fathers who give bread to their children, when they ask it, In comparison to God the Father, what word does Jesus use? You being evil. If you being evil still know that you give bread to your child who asks, and this is the word, how much more? How much more? Your Father who is in heaven. And that's the whole point of this. Comparatively, the best father on earth is evil compared to the holiness of God. And that is the truth of Scripture that our fallen nature, in our fallen, we are, we are evil. We are innately not good people or we're not innately good people, we're innately bad people. We're innately people who rebel against good things, who rebel against the holiness of God and the will of God and the commands of God. That's the innate part of us. And so what Jesus is really uh, reiterating here is the depravity of man. And that even in that fallen state, even an unsaved, fallen, depraved father can be a good dad. How much more then could a perfect, heavenly, holy father be for those who come to him and ask him? The point is to convince the one who asks that the father's ear is lowered to you with love and he will give to you. That's the point. The father's heart is that which he will decline himself, and open his ear to you, and listen to you. How much more your heavenly Father will do this? The other things that we understand from this scenario, by thinking about the home, and the Father, and the Son, is in prayer, you're not twisting God's arm. That's not what prayer is for, to get him to do something. You're not bribing him, and you're really not even begging because if the scenario is a father in this, on this earth and a son on this earth who says, can I have some bread? And the father says, here, here's some bread. They're not gonna give you a, a stone. How much more so Then do we treat our father in heaven that way when we go to him? We're not twisting him. We're not convincing him. You guys know that when you pray, you're not adding to the knowledge of God. I, I do find that comical. It happens in a lot of prayer meetings where sometimes people are informing God of things. I just want to, I want to free you of that. <laughs> God knows everything. You can actually learn to pray where you're using the words coming out of your mouth in a way that is so intentionally to God the Father in praise of who he is. Our prayers are not to inform him. He doesn't need to know anything from us. He desires that we come to him by faith, that we ask, that we seek, and that we knock, you guys, are, you know what I'm talking about. Oh Lord, you know Aunt Sue, you know she's lives in Tennessee, and uh, at three o'clock this morning, she, you know, and it's not for God's benefit. Like He knew before it even happened. So I'm saying this as a as a discipleship tool for you guys. Learn to pray. If if all those words could be used not to inform God but to worship God, you will become a better prayer and it'll be, you'll be far more equipped in your prayers to worship God and serve God with your words. Does that make sense? So you're not twisting his arm. He's not like other gods who have no fatherly love in them. So if you've experienced other gods, other religions, there's nobody like God the Father. These other religions demand your life with nothing in return. It's all about giving and working and expending and dying and then getting nothing. You've just expent yourself and you get nothing. They take from you. There's no giving, loving, fatherly heart in any other God. It's all about what that God receives, not to the blessing and good of his servants, but just to take and to extract and to leave you in this world with absolutely nothing, and that you die and go to hell, eternally, forever. And that's every other God's agenda, not God God the Father. In, In Christ and through Christ, we get the Father of Christ, and he loves us with a love that nothing can separate us from. That's what Scripture teaches. Not only do those who ask receive, but he goes on to say those who seek find. Guys, this is an invitation to press on and go further. In your prayers, you may begin with asking, asking him something. And some of you are here and you've been asking him things. I've asked him things this morning. I asked him before I came up here, God, would you do something in this work, in this, the work of the preaching of your word? We ask him things all the time. But this is an invitation to go further. Seek after God. Seek after him. Don't just ask him. Seek That takes more work, doesn't it? Seek after him. We've already been told that this is the way of kingdom people to seek after the kingdom of God and his righteousness and to do it first in your life. This is what Jesus teaches us. When should we seek after him? When's the moment that we go from asking to seeking? Should we wait till we've received what we've asked for? That's not what the text says. We're simply told that the one who persists from asking to seeking and then knocking ends up entering into a door that is open for them. You see the procession here? You end up inside. You end up in the presence of the Father. The one who seeks and then eventually knocks. Do you see what he's saying here with this analogy? There's presence. Something about God's invitation to not only ask and to seek, but to persist and knock. And there is so much blessing there. This is an invitation to see God as the patient, hospitable, generous, and present father that he is. He actually wants to be in our presence. Not just have us asking him in these distant prayers, but to where we ask him, we seek him, and then we're like, God, I just want to be with you. I just want, I want to come into your presence. I want to be with you. I want to be with you in your word. I want to be with your people. I want to be with you in prayer. I don't care if you don't answer this prayer the way I want it to. I just want to be with you. You see see what's happening here? This prayer increases in fervency. And that's the invitation. The question is, what are we to ask, seek, and knock for? What exactly should we be doing with this instruction? The text tells us, Tells us at the end of our section, let's let's just notice it together. Look at verse ten. Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give a serpent. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Do you guys catch what things we're supposed to be praying for, asking for, seeking for, knocking for? Good gifts. Good gifts. Amen. Good things. He says it two ways good gifts and good things. So that's the question we have to ask. Are we actually asking for, seeking after, knocking on the door for good things according to God? Are they good according to you, or are they good according to God? The proper view of this text is not to think that God is going to give us whatever we persistently ask for. That is not what it's saying in context. If I were to ask for a show of hands... I would imagine that at one point, or maybe maybe, maybe even now, that this is what you've been taught. That if you ask for anything, persistently enough, you should expect it from God. Like a blank check. It's not what scripture teaches. There are some very popular preachers in our world, many of you might still listen to them, discern, discern. Don't listen to prosperity preachers. Just don't do it. There are so many good preachers you don't have to listen to the bad ones. They're, gonna, they're, they're telling you lies. all right. And this is one of the most common ones. That there's something wrong with your faith. That's why you're not getting what you're asking for. You need more faith. And if you just ask hard enough, it doesn't matter what it is. New car, more money, a better job, a better situation, better kids. Just keep, God, God will do it. You just persist. But it's not what the scripture is teaching. It's not about whatever we persistently ask for, we will get it, but that our father is good. What if that's what this whole text is about? That our father is good. How much more our father than an earthly father? How much more? It's about God. It's about him. And he will only give us what is truly good for us. And we're talking about his children. I want to add a little side note, because this is so important. It's a side note, but it's relevant. Parents, listen to me. This is a principle. This is one of those principles that we can get. It's not the main point of the text, but it is a point from the scriptures that we can learn to be better parents in. Do you know where I'm going with this? Maybe you do. If you're giving in to persistence from your children but you're not discerning what is good for them according to scripture and logic and common sense then you're not loving them in those moments it's not loving to just give in to persistence how many of our children are very good at persisting for things that aren't actually good for them you're not enough of you raising your hands like you know that this is true how many of you were that child as a child you persisted for everything that you know wouldn't have been good for you. It wasn't until God interrupted your life and began to teach you what is actually good for your soul. Parents, don't just think about your children's bodies. Think about their souls. What is good for their soul? They can persist all they want. It's not loving to allow them to have those things just because they're persistent. Teens, those of you can really understand the, the principles of this, younger children if you're here, don't persist for worldly things. Stop it. Let that check, check your heart as you're approaching your parents and you're thinking about things that you're going to ask them. Now, a loving parent will still give an ice cream sundae that's bad for their body and it'll kill them. I mean, that, that, where there's freedom, there's freedom in Christ. There really is, right? There are good, there are good things to enjoy, are there not? I would say that more, more for myself. That's uh, really. But this is the heart of our Father, and there's much that we can learn from Him. Persistence is one aspect of this text, but the beauty of it is that we get to see who God is. If we ask for bread, he'll give it in his timing and in his way. Whatever that bread is, he will give it in his timing and his way. But if we're asking for rocks and snakes, just flip that a little bit. Take his scenario and actually imagine a child who asks for rocks and asks for snakes. What will a good father do? Say, no, I'm not going to give you what's bad for you. That's love. That is love. There are things in your life that you may be persisting in that God is just saying, it's not good for you. I'm not going to give it to you. You've been asking, you don't get it. Why, God? Because I love you. Uh, Because he's a good father. We should probably spend more time thinking and checking our heart. Is it in line with God's word and his will? Is what we're asking truly a good thing? Sometimes good things have to wait. Sometimes God's answers take longer. It takes a lot of discernment, doesn't it, to live this life as a Christian, to learn the heart of God and to know and to discern if what we're praying for is good. But God will give us that wisdom. Thankfully, thankfully, the Father says no to some of our prayers. That's all I can say. Thankfully, he says no. And if you've been taught that God doesn't say no to prayer, he does. We see it in the text. Let the thought be gone from you. God does say no to some things that his kids ask him. And that's a good thing. So church, we have to ask, seek, and knock for good things. Discern the scriptures to know if what you're seeking and asking for is bread or rocks. There's a couple of things in scripture that help us to kind of think through this. James 5, 16 to 18. Familiar text. I'll have it on the screen so you can just read it along with me. Here we have a biblical, scriptural example of a man like us, with a nature like ours, sinful, who prayed and God did something powerful. What's the point of what's being said here? Great power as it is working. That's the point. Whether it's for healing or whether it's for um, the confession of sin or a brother and sister who's, who's needing your prayers, we are told to pray fervently, ask diligently, seek and knock for these kind of things. Let the scriptures inform our hearts for what is Good, great power as it is working. So, pray persistently and expectantly for Christians who confess sin and desire healing. Our prayers should be more consumed with people who need the forgiveness of God, who need healing because they're in sin. And so, we pray persistently, like Paul did, thankful for these brothers and sisters, praying for them, praying for their hearts. Pray persistently and expectantly for your own healing from sin, your own healing. How many of you are right now asking for something physical, yet your spiritual heart is decaying? You're asking for something physical, but you're not walking in obedience to God. If that's the truth, then then your persistence is in the wrong area. You're not actually asking for the best thing. We are told in Scripture the things that are good. Pray for forgiveness from God. He will give these things. He will. These are good things. Are you being persistent in them? is the question. So you may think, well, I'm asking God to get me out of debt. Isn't that good? I'm asking God to make me rich. Wouldn't that be awesome? Or give me children. That's a a blessing and something that a lot of people are praying for. God, give me children. I want children. Or heal my cancer or save my children from from death and hell. And it's not happening. Like these things, you're not seeing them happening right now. And so this, this trips us up. But it's texts like this, what we're studying, taken out of context that that has ruined so much of what Christians are supposed to believe in those scenarios of cancer and what seem like unanswered prayer and hardships and when we don't have our debts paid off. This is not a blank check. This is not a blank check. This is Jesus telling us what the Father is like and what he's not like. And that is what we need in our heads when we're in these situations of dire straits. Who is God and what is he like right now when I'm in pain and when I need what I'm asking for? Who is he? So we focus again on God the Father. Go to him, brothers and sisters. Keep going to him. Persistently. Ask, seek, knock, but do so like a child. A child with a good father. Don't miss this significance of the one who knocks. Notice what happens. It's, it's unique. The asking is given. There's a, there's a receiving. The seeking, well, you'll find it. But the one who knocks, the door is opened. There's an open door. This is about presence with God. About presence with God. Opportunities for kingdom work. God opening to you his very heart for you and desiring you in his presence while you live your life wanting you in his presence. Do not expect that God will bless your requests when you ask for worldly things, yet do not desire to simply be in his presence. Think about that, church. Our focus needs to be on the Father, not on what we want. He's the giver, so we persist, ask, seek, knock on the doors of God's heart, and and what do we get? What do we get? We get a father who says, Come to me. I want to talk with you. I want you to talk to me. Come to me. Always pray. Don't lose heart. Turn with me over to Luke 18, and this is where we'll end. I want to end with this final parable that Jesus gives that really helps us to see this very scenario being played out in a parable that he gives. Luke 18, verses 1 through 8. You'll be familiar with it, I'm sure. Maybe. So that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Does not that just paint a good scenario of that happening? It's a similar picture, similar to Matthew 7. Jesus uses this story to impress upon us who the father is by comparing himself to an unjust judge who grows weary by the widows continuing to come to him. What's the comparison for? Think about this. What's this comparison for? He's not an unjust judge. God is not an unjust judge. Yet this unjust, wicked man was moved by persistence. How much more should we be persistent in prayer, knowing who our Father is? Church, don't give up. Don't relent. Keep asking, seeking, knocking. Think about what you're asking, seeking, knocking for. Make sure your heart is in tune to the Father, what he is like, who he is, and who he has always been in those moments no matter how long it takes for your answer to come or for the thing to come that you've been praying for. Keep praying, keep persistent. And so we end the, with these words, Matthew seven ten. How much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? How much more, brothers and sisters? He's not an unjust judge and he is not a wicked father. Yet even those in their depravity Respond to persistence. How much more? Amen? Be encouraged, church. All right, let me pray. Father, thank you for the encouragement in your word today. My heart's encouraged for the many things that I pray about. Lord, may my brothers and sisters here be encouraged too. Lord, lovingly put your finger on those things in people's lives right now that are out of place, things that, that we've been persistent about, that are truly not good things. In your grace, break down the, the scales and the the hardness of heart that would cause some even right now to resist and say, I will not. I will not stop praying for that thing that I want. God, would you in a most gracious and loving way convict of that sin remind us today to to come to a father who is good to come praying your will be done your kingdom come not my will help us to pray in line with the Lord Jesus himself if this is your will let it come to pass nevertheless not my will but your will be done make us more like this persistent widow in the parable But even more so, that we would be even more persistent. I'm sure she had fear in her heart going to an unjust judge, but she wanted and desired what she desired, so much so that she continued to go to an unjust judge. And yet we have a faithful father. Thank you, God. Thank you for being that for us right now. Direct our eyes to you, Lord. Turn our eyes to Jesus the forgiver of sin, and what greater thing can we ask for than forgiveness and a right relationship with you? So even now, God, there's people in this room that have never bowed their heart to you, confessed their sin, or bring them to a place of faith in Jesus Christ, belief in the Son of God, that he is the Son of God, and that his death was the only sufficient sacrifice to pay for sinners like us and bring us into the presence of God so that we would not be punished for our sins, go to hell for eternity, but be set free here in this life, be made new, washed clean, and given eternal life forever and ever and ever with you, God. Thank you. Thank you for the promise you've given us. Thank you for keeping your promises. Keep changing us, Lord, transform us by your will and by your word for your glory's sake. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the New City Church podcast. For more content from New City Church, check us out on any of the major podcasting platforms. Or if you want to find our gathering times, location, or any other information about New City, check out our website at www.bathnewcity.church. We hope to have you join us next episode.